This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2016. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Come with me to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. Give you a moment to find that, and we'll tell you the text uh, also in a moment or two. Galatians chapter 1. Atheism is such a depressing philosophical worldview. Its life goal is utterly futureless, purposeless, and hopeless. I mean, after all, if, as they say, we are just uh, a random collection of chemicals uh, that somehow, sometime in the past, coalesced together. And out of that, just say life was formed. And even if intelligent life evolved out of that, why should we believe that that would give us a purpose in life and give us a life beyond this life. Sadly, atheism leaves a man with no real point in life and no future beyond here. Bill Nye, who in America is nicknamed the science guy, an ardent atheist, his mantra is this. This is his mantra for life. When you're dead, you're done. (laughs) When you're dead, you're done. In other words, everything that you've ever worked for, lived for, believed in, hoped for, when you're dead, you're done. That's it. You will have no recollection, no memory, no consciousness. You are into nothingness. You will not remember your life here. You'll not remember anyone you've ever known, anything you've ever done, believed in, hoped for, or lived for. Not only that... But those of you who remember you after you're gone, when they die, equally the same. (laughs) Everything they lived for, hoped for, believed in, trusted in, gone into nothingness. And actually, when everybody eventually dies and everything is gone and there's no memory of anything, (laughs) I mean, it's just ridiculous, isn't it? Then no one will ever know that we've ever been here. So there's no purpose to it. No matter what has been accomplished in this world, ultimately it will be purposeless and pointless. Buddhism is not better, any better either. Buddhism's main end goal is nirvana. Uh, Buddhists believe that life is a, a cycle of suffering and a cycle of birth and rebirth and birth and rebirth and birth and rebirth. But if you reach nirvana, if you attain to nirvana, (laughs) the end of self-existence, nothingness, when you get to that elevated state of nothingness, then you will be free. And I say free for what? To what? Nothing. How depressing is that? However, for the Christian, 
there is a distinct advantage. We may not know everything the future holds. And in that aspect, we're no better than anybody else. But we do know who holds the future. And that makes all the difference when you know who holds your future. Life for us is not a mystery tour. We're not groping in the dark. It's not aimless. It's not drifting. We're not counting on luck or happenstance. We have purpose. We have direction. We're on a journey. We have a destination. We're going somewhere to something, to someone. We believe God is in absolute control of our lives, as well as being accomplished in us and through us for his glory. The Christian life is a life that's lived for God and His glory. It's full of meaning and purpose. It will never end. Eternity, eternity awaits the completion and fulfillment of the purpose of life in its entirety. And so our life will go on forever. Now that should give us hope. It should give us assurance. It should give us confidence. It certainly should give us a, a future to look forward to. God has endowed you with special qualities. He has put within your life gifts, talents, abilities. He has given you personality that is absolutely unique to you. None of us has got the same personality exactly. We're all uniquely different and special. God had plans for you before you were born. He will have plans for you after you die. There is a reason for being. Aren't you glad you're not an atheist today? Wouldn't it be awful to live all of your life for nothing? Wouldn't that be depressing to think that? But we have purpose. Both Jeremiah the prophet and Isaiah, prophet and David, the psalmist all absolutely believed that God had a purpose for their life even before they were ever born. The psalmist writing in Psalm 139 talks about the days that God had fashioned for him. He says, the days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. It's not fantastic. Before we ever had days to live, God had fashioned days for us to live. He had planned things for us. And so, whether it's tomorrow, the next day, or the next day, whenever it may be, God has got a days fashioned for us, appointments for us to keep, things to happen for us. And it's wonderful. All these men of God believed that God was completely trustworthy to manage their lives. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that God is trustworthy enough to manage your life? That you can count on Him? That for the rest of your life, His plan for you is working out. Wonderful. What are you good at it? What seems to fit you like a glove? You may never grace a stage. Your gift may never be on public display, but it needs to be used for God's glory nonetheless. 
in the hotel business uh, and in the restaurant business, they talk about front of house and back of house. And front of house is those who visibly serve the public. Everybody sees them. But back of house are those who are in the kitchens working, the chefs, the cooks, the cleaners who clean your rooms, make your beds, vacuum the carpets, the maintenance crew who make sure your shower's working and your lights are okay. But those who are visible, those who are front of house, could never do what they need to do except they have the support of those who are back of house. All of them provide a service. Some are seen, some are unseen. But the ones that are unseen are just as important as the ones that are seen. If you had the no cooks and the no chefs and the no cleaners and the no maintenance men, that hotel wouldn't last too long. We've got a business. And it is a bit like that in the kingdom of God. There are those who are front of house. There are those who are visible. What they're doing for God is seen. But the, the majority are back of house. They get on with stuff that nobody sees. You see, when you come in here this morning, you had a worship band playing. You had seats to sit on that are nicely arrayed in precise straight lines. Is that right, Kenneth? Kenneth's eyes like a laser beam. And you never think about that. You come in, there's no dirt in the floor. It would never enter your brain why that is. I'll tell you why it is. Because there's people who's back of house. And you're not in here during the week or on Saturday to see them doing the thing. And that's what makes what's visible work. And so it's a bit like that in the kingdom of God. God has given to every one of us significance. You're not an Ulceran. You're not a back number. You have a particular part to play in God's plans. Think for a moment of the, the people in the Bible who seem to play a minor part in a major story. Uh, yet without them, you wouldn't have had the major story. And we tend to only think about the major story, but we forget about the person who played the minor part, the little cameo role, the bit part, sometimes it's called in the acting profession. Think of the little boy who shared his lunch with Jesus, the five little barley loaves and two small fishes. And what a miracle! 5,000 fed. What a supreme example of the Lord Jesus and his power over everything can multiply bread and fishes to feed a multitude. But yet without that little boy sharing his lunch, without that little minor part, we wouldn't have had that great story. 
Think of the little Hebrew girl, a little slave in the great Syrian general's household, Naaman, who was a leper. Would to God that my master would go to Israel. There's a God there that could cleanse him of this leprosy. And that advice was taken, and we have the wonderful story of the great general Naaman going to the house of Elisha, and Elisha wouldn't even come out and speak to him, sent his servant out, and remember how he went down and dipped in the Jordan seven times, and he created a whole fuss, and it's a wonderful story. All made possible by a little slave girl who just happened to witness for Jehovah where she was. Anisimus, the runaway slave, he was the instigator of Paul writing one of the most personal and poignant and beautiful letters in the New Testament. A little letter to Philemon, the Christian businessman. And it was through Onesimus meeting Paul in prison, getting saved. What a wonderful testimony and story. What a great outcome. All because of a runaway slave. But what about the Samaritan woman at the well that Jesus spoke to? And how that after Jesus dealt with her, she went into the village. And what did she do? <laughs> she became a great evangelist. <laughs> she brought all of those men of the village out to meet Jesus so he could preach to them. A whole village came to Christ because of that little woman at the well. I was thinking the other day about Simon the Cyrenian. You remember how that Jesus on his way to Calvary and carrying his cross and he stumbled. And the Roman soldier escorting, and it was the Roman's legal right, could pick anyone out of the crowd to carry the cross of the criminal. And it just so happened to be Simon the Cyrenian who had traveled more than 800 miles from Africa to be at the Passover. Obviously, he was a proselyte. He had embraced Judaism. And as he was standing there watching the crowds and seeing the commotion and seeing these three criminals with their crosses heading to Calvary, suddenly he's pointed out, he's in the spotlight. He has to carry the cross. And you have to understand that that would be a, a great shame and humiliation to have to publicly carry the cross of a criminal. And you had nothing to do with it. You're innocent. But he was the one chosen. Many theologians and commentators believe that, that during that moment carrying Christ's cross, that that's when he became a believer in Christ. And that his two sons, Rufus and Alexander, and him became part of the church. I haven't time to go into this, but there are several scriptures that mention those names, and it would seem to be a connection. 
But what a precious moment. Somebody carrying the cross of Christ. By the way, those five we have mentioned, three of them, we don't even know their names. As far as this word concerned, they were insignificant. They were no names. But they weren't nobodies. And we may be, as far as this word concerned, no names. Who knows us? But we're not nobodies. Because God knows us. And God had them marked for recognition. After thousands of years, we're still talking about them today. <laughs> Who would have thought it? God wrote a book, and he made them a part of his story. And we're part of his story too today. We have significance. We're important to God. We're important to God's plans. Look as far as you can into the future. Go beyond time into eternity. The further you look, the brighter it becomes. What has an atheist got to look for? What has a Buddhist got to look for? Nothing. Hopelessness, futureless, pointless. Nothing. The further we look into our future, the brighter it gets the more exciting it's going to be. Our best day on earth will be as nothing in comparison to our future that God has got for us. Ah, that would make you glad to be a Christian. I don't know what would. It doesn't mean there won't be days without pain or without rain. It doesn't mean there won't be challenges or changes in our lives that we have to go through. Some old saint says your future is as bright as the promises of God. Hudson Taylor, the great missionary to China, at uh, one time in his, in his ministry, he had got to the stage where all of his resources and provisions were gone. He was down to nothing. He wrote a letter to his wife. He says, I have 25 cents on all the promises of God. <laughs> And that makes all the difference. And all the promises of God. Steps of a good man, of a good woman, ordered by the Lord. Now, God's purpose for your life requires patience. It may take a while for you to know his purpose for your life. You may know it almost immediately after you become a believer uh, but that's the exception rather than the rule I certainly had moments in my life uh, when I knew definitely at, at that moment I knew that I knew that I knew something and still know it to this day but it took a while to get to that place uh, commentators, we have no way of exactly knowing this, uh, but commentators and historians reckon that the Apostle Paul was about 30-ish when he got converted. And that being the case, if it is the case, then you have to consider that for the first 30 years of his life, even though he thought 
He knew God's purpose because he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He had been brought up in Phariseeism. He had trained in Phariseeism. He was a great Pharisee. And as far as he was concerned, that's all he ever wanted to be. It's all he was ever going to be until he met the Lord on the road to Damascus. And suddenly, then he found out God's true purpose for his life. And he became that great apostle to the Gentiles. Sometimes it takes a while for us to find out what our purpose from God is. But if we walk humbly before him and be faithful to him, then he will show us. Sometimes I think, uh, particularly whenever we're either young Christians or, or older Christians, sometimes we, we get into a bit of a pickle, wondering, what is the will of God? What is the will of God? <coughs> My attitude has always been this. I'll do what I know to do. I'll be as faithful as I think I can possibly be. And then I'll leave it up to God to show me what is his purpose. I want to know. I desperately want to know. But I'm not going to panic. I'm going to trust God for him to show me. If he has a purpose for my life, it's his business to show me. It's my business to abet. It's his business to show me. So don't be panicking and worried and fretful. Say, Lord, whatever your purpose is, in your time, reveal it unto me, and I'll do it for your glory. Paul said in Galatians chapter 1.15, that's why I told you to turn to Galatians 1. Galatians 1.15, Paul says, God separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. Seemed to take 30 years for him to understand what his calling was. But when he understood it, he realized it was there all along. I didn't know it. I didn't see it. I didn't have it. Didn't feel it. But it was there even from my mother's womb. Acts 13, 36, it says, For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid among his fathers. After he served the purpose of God in his own generation. The best you can do is serve God in your own generation because you will never have another generation. This is the only generation you'll ever have. This is the only opportunity you'll ever get. This is the only day you'll ever live. This is our time individually. There will not be another time. It's right now. We're living in the time for God's purposes to be fulfilled in our lives. Each of us has been given a generation, a time span to serve God. And we're only going to get one chance at it. One goal. So let's make sure that we do it. Jesus was very aware of that in his earthly journey. You know, he was 33 years here. And really three years to fulfill his mission. Maybe that's why he said in John 9 and 4, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, for the night comes when no man can work. 
The Bible says he set his face as a flint towards Jerusalem. He knew he had a time span. It was his generation. There was a moment for his ministry in history. And that was it. And nothing and no one is going to stop him fulfilling that. Not his family. Not his friends. Didn't matter they didn't understand. And they didn't for a long time. His own brothers, his own siblings did not understand it to even till after he was resurrected. But that did not stop him fulfilling God's purpose in his generation. Each and every one of us has got a future. We've got it in time and we've got it in eternity. You've got a future in time, you've got a future in eternity. Not everybody believes this. Sadly, I was just reading this recently, sadly Northern Ireland for the second year in a row has got the highest suicide rate in all of the regions of the United Kingdom. And I'm talking several hundred a year. So that's several hundred people every year in Northern Ireland who feels they have no future, no purpose. Life is pointless. Why go on? And it's a tragedy. Some of them are very young people, young men, young women. Many just can't see a future or else perhaps they had and they've lost their dream. They've lost their goals. And they feel life's not worth living. But it is. There is a purpose. And God has given us a dream and a goal and a vision. And then there's some people who are just habitually pessimistic. <laughs> habitually. Their glass is always half empty. It's never half full. Never. Every tune for them is in the minor key. Every color is gray. None of their stories have a happy ending. George Bernard Shaw said the optimists invented the airplane the pessimist, the parachute. <laughs> Somebody says the difference between an optimist and a pessimist is the optimist sees the donut and the pessimist sees the hole. <laughs> do you see the donut or do you see the hole? I'm being serious. What do you see? Do you see a future? Do you see a hope? Do you see a plan? Do you know God's got a purpose? Psalm 16 11, <clears throat> David says, You will show me the path of life. That's future in time. In your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. That's future in eternity. We get the best of both worlds. Isn't that good news? The best of both worlds. 
You say, well, I'm going through a tough time right now. Yes. But it'd be a lot tougher if you didn't have the Lord. And there's lots that doesn't have the Lord. And they're going through exactly what you're going through. But they don't have the Lord. Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. That's Paul's future in time. Henceforth, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. That's Paul's future in eternity. Every one of us has got a future in time right now, but we've got a future in eternity. It's going to get brighter and better every single day of our lives. <laughs> what did the psalmist say? Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me when? All the days of my life and... I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He can't beat that. Sure you can. That should put a smile on your face. While we're talking about the future, let me remind you the difference between your destiny and God's will for your life. Roy Leeson, the author, uh, I read something he wrote, and if I may condense it somewhat for you. Uh, I, I thought that it was worth a mention. He said, we think of destiny as something we are to pursue, to reach for, like a goal or a dream or an accomplishment. Yet once we find Christ, once we are found in Christ, we have actually found our destiny, for our destiny is Christ. You were born to be born again. That's your destiny. It's not some kind of elusive will of the wisp thing. And we think that if I reach my goal and accomplish that task and fulfill that dream, then I will have reached my destiny. But actually, if we are in Christ, we have reached our destiny. So in that sense, destiny is the same for us all, but what is different for each of us is the will of God. You see, the will of God may be for someone to serve God in a public way, in a visible way, back to the front of house. But for you, it may be to quietly serve him in the background, in the shadows. For some, it may be to be highly gifted and do amazing exploits. But for you, it may be, listen, mothers, but for you, it may be to raise a godly family and run your home well. For some, it's public and visible. For others, it's quiet, unnoticed, behind the scenes. The trouble is, if you think your destiny is a great goal, a big accomplishment, a fantastic dream, and the will of God happens to be for you raising your kids and working behind the scenes and doing the stuff that never gets a mention, then you might end up thinking you've missed your destiny and resent the will of God. I don't want to end up thinking I've missed my destiny and resenting the will of God. I want to believe the will of God is good and perfect and acceptable, as Paul said. Can't get any better than that, she can. So God has given to every one of us a purpose for time and a purpose for eternity. No one else can fulfill it. You have been strategically born in this generation to fulfill God's rule for your life. Your life is neither accidental nor incidental. There are lives that only you can touch. Did you know that? 
that only you can reach. I can't go into your workplace. I can't go into your neighbor's house. I can't go and visit all your family. I can't go into your school or your uni. But you can. You're ready there. There are people's lives that only you can touch. Family, friends, acquaintances, work colleagues, schoolmates. That's where your light will shine. That's where your salt will savor. You may feel inadequate, never feel inferior. You may feel small, do not feel useless. You may feel you have only one talent. Well, don't be like the man who went and hid it. Use it for God's glory. The title of this message is Only God Can Offer a Life Like This. No philosophy can offer this. No religion can offer this. <coughs> Only God can offer you a life like this. Aren't you glad you have embraced it? Aren't you glad that you came to Christ, that you get born again from above, that you're saved, that you're washed in the blood of the Lamb? Aren't you glad that the purpose of God is being fulfilled in your life right now? There's more to come, but you're walking in it. Glory to God. Lord, we thank you for this great plan that you have for each and every one of us. There's none of us, Lord, that's left out. Individually, you have a plan. Corporately, you have a plan. Help us, Lord, to walk in it daily. And Lord, if we're not sure what it is yet, Lord, we're just going to remain humble and faithful and then you will unveil it in your time. So we give you thanks today. Thank you for so great salvation, for this life in Christ that you have imparted to us. Lord, we are so blessed to know you. So Lord, we're not going to worry or fret or be fearful of tomorrow because you're already there waiting for us. Thank you, Lord, that you live beyond the confines of time. Lord, you're the master of eternity. And so whatever we face tomorrow, you will be with us, right beside us. And that gives us the strength and the confidence to face every tomorrow. So we bless you, Lord. Our times are in your hands. They're not in the devil's hands. They're not in men's hands. They're in your hands. And we give you thanks for that in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.